Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Over the line, or closing, he's in. A backhander and a save by Tony Esposito. Stan Mikita was a, a small guy, very cocky in those days. A right hand by Magnuson, and he puts that guy down. Magnuson trying to tear his hair out. NBC Chicago's James Naveau. Odyssey Chicago Hockey Insider, Jay Zawoski. No more! Hawks win! Hawks win again! Chris Jelios in overtime! Part of Blue Wire Podcast. Came off the boards, he shoots, he's going down to the tanks! A game-winning goal! The Hawks live to fight another day! Falling back, circle of drives, get it from The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Chicago's going to be in last place forever. Play the center for Tanks, you got to break away! Triple Threat Sports, Fry the Coop, and by the Sins in Law Group, let's drop the puck. Welcome in, friends. This is indeed the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. I am James Nabeau from NBC5, and with me, of course, is podcast extraordinaire wizard guru guy at WBBM Odyssey, best selling author. Uh, Sexiest Man Alive in People Magazine in 2014. It's Jay Zawaski. Well, that's true. Yeah. Finally, so, you get the uh, truth Jay, in there. <laughs> <laughs> this is the second time we've done a podcast after a Blackhawks preseason game. Tonight, they were up at the Pizza Box. They were at Little Caesars Arena up in Detroit. They did end up winning 6-4 to four over the Red Wings in a lineup pretty much dominated by NHL guys. Not the best win they've ever had. We will definitely get into a lot of the in-game stuff and then some kind of bigger picture concerns as this podcast goes along. But before we do that, Jay, how are you doing tonight, buddy? How was your Monday? It was, uh, as far as Mondays go, excellent. I really could not have asked for a better Monday. Good day at work, good day at home, good dinner, good Hawks game. Life is good, so I can't complain. Uh, But thanks for tuning in. We always appreciate it. Follow us on Twitter at MadhousePod. Email us MadhousePod at gmail.com or on Instagram at Madhouse underscore pod. Look us up on Facebook. We're there, too, when it's working. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> oh, Lord. And uh, we got a tea public shop with all kinds of cool T-shirts and j- all that sort of jazz. So check out the link in our bio to get to our tea public shop. And if you're ever shopping on tea public and you uh, maybe don't even need any Madhouse stuff, or you have some already, use our link anyway, because it helps us out tremendously. All right, James said it. Hawks win 6-4 over the Red Wings at uh, the Little Caesars Arena. Got out to a 3-0 lead, and it looked like a laugher 
And then Detroit kind of, I think the Hawks definitely took the, their foot off the gas a little bit. And then by the time it was time to put it back on, it was, it was kind of too late, but they turned it around in the third and uh, like, we're not going to nothing to panic about, nothing to freak out about in this game. It's just, it's a, pre- says you, it's a preseason game. So I think what we should do is focus on what we saw in this game that matters. And what I saw in this game that matters is three points from Jonathan Taves. Uh, continued chemistry from Mackenzie Entwistle and Brandon Hagel. Entwistle scoring twice in this game. Hagel with two assists of his own. Uh, I'm sorry, three assists of his own in this one. Uh, there was there were a lot of positives. The penalty kill was a complete disaster, and I think that's probably where we'll spend the most of the time. Um, but there were definitely some positives as well. Yeah, I think obviously this is kind of a thing we do on the podcast. I think it's probably a smart idea to uh, start with the positive. And I would, you know what, let's just start with the biggest positive of them all, which is that chemistry between Brandon Hagel and Mackenzie Entwistle. And I want to resurface something you had discussed in our last episode about how we may have understated Brandon Hagel's ceiling as an NHL player. The more and more he continues to play and grow and develop, I am really starting to wonder, he might have a shot to stick as a top six guy. And I don't think that was something that we had kind of thought of last season. And you wouldn't have thought it coming into this season, just based on all the moves the Blackhawks made to kind of bolster their depth with veterans kind of up and down the lineup. Brandon Hagel is showing some serious game, and I get that it's preseason. I get that he's doing it against teams that aren't necessarily fielding a roster full of NHL players, but at the same time, the stuff that he's doing, the speed with which he plays the game, the awareness, the passing ability, Mm -hmm. good God, and even the shot, it's just, it's all there, and he's put it together in such a short amount of time, and his Everything just continues to improve. All arrows are pointing up with Brandon Hagel, and we're going to get to Mackenzie Entwistle because I know he's a guy that you've been really high on as well, but I I really am starting to kind of see your uh, point of view on this, that we may have undersold what Brandon Hagel is going to be capable of in this league. Definitely, and he has shown that he can play with anybody. He can play in any role. Uh, it looks like he's added a step of speed. They've talked about that a little bit on the broadcasts, um, but look, man, he plays twelve twenty eight, and has three points. Like that's <laughs> that that's really impressive. Like th- that's a huge output, right? Like so, yeah. and and the way Cowton's been doing the lines, and, and again, we got to acknowledge it's preseason. He's working through stuff. They've got a million people that are still up getting looks, and that will whittle down as we move along here. But he seems to be not really interested in top loading, right? He's not doing Taves, Debrinket, Kane. You know, Doc Kubelik, he's kind of trying to get as much balance as he can on every line. And that may very well be, uh, and even if it's not right away, that might be Brandon Hagel's ticket to the top six. Because I keep going back to this Andrew Shaw comparison, and I I want to make sure I'm clear on, on what I'm saying here. It's a guy who came up without a ton of expectations and has since arriving refused to be sent down. Right. Mm-hmm. And and he's showing a lot more offensive ability than I think anyone predicted. And I think, you know, if you got Stan Bowman and Jeremy Cowton over a couple of beers, they would probably tell you like, yeah, we didn't know. You know, we, we, we knew we, we liked him. We, we didn't know he was going to to be this good this quickly. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, it really makes that contract look good, too, because that was sort of like, wow, what's he going to demand in the offseason? 
uh, but he signed for three years at 1.5. I mean, that is that's really good. <laughs> and he's restricted after that. So yep. they, they're going to they're going to still have his rights. So, look, I don't want to get out over our skis here again. It is the preseason. But Brandon Hagel is just continuing where he left off during last year's regular season where he was one of the Hawks most reliable players night after night. Yeah, and I mean, like we keep saying, the fact that we're not just saying this stuff because of the statistics, even though, I mean, you look at his uh, production tonight, he was a 92% Corsi tonight. He was a perfect 100% in Fenwick. It it just is mind-boggling how seriously he is approaching the preseason and how well he's playing and then to boot he's making all of these spectacular plays too this isn't just a oh he lucked into an assist here and there what perfect yeah, weight on right. every friggin saucer pass he puts his on ice awareness is insane that pass he made from below the goal line tonight to set up Entwistle's first goal was remarkable and it was in a preseason game for god's sake there are just so many things that he's doing right and so many things that he's doing extremely well I mean, I mean how can you not look at him and say he is a legit contender to get serious top six minutes this season he his emergence has been unreal and I'm starting to wonder Jay he may not have been from the fourth line farm he may have been from a more uh Cadillac uh, agricultural institution <laughs> yeah he's from a more fertile farm than we gave him credit for yeah I mean look we could just wax poetic about Brandon Hagel all night and I'm and I'm here for it because I'm just so impressed with how he's played and you talk about getting an opportunity and seizing it he's been great and, and like you know last year what do you have 20 like 25 points yeah he had 24 points in 52 games. That's yep. a really solid rate. Yeah, like, I mean, that's that's I, a 40 to 45-point uh, pace in an 82-game season. And I, I'm not sure what the ceiling is for him offensively, but there's nothing I'm seeing in his game where I'm like, well, that, you know, that won't translate to the regular season or that won't translate to this or that. No, I, what I see is a guy who is who started off good, who is getting better. And it's just been nothing but impressive since the day he showed up here. I, yeah. I just and he, and if Jeremy Collin is going to set this roster based on who has earned it, uh, you could definitely. I mean, look, however you want to define the top six, because you could have Kirby Doc as your technical three C. Because it well, seems I mean, like that's he, certainly the way they're using Tyler Johnson right now is indicative of the fact they may be looking at uh, Doc as a third liner. Yeah, but and, and I, I'm not sure if. I'm not sure that's Cowton ranking things, right? I think it's just a matter of I want three lines that I know can all contribute offensively and defensively. And the way he's got it set at this moment, you can kind of see his vision, right? So the other thing, too, is maybe the guys we were handicapping as filling in those bottom three slots mm-hmm. are not who we thought they were going to be either. Yeah. Because it's, well- get, it's getting difficult to deny what Mackenzie Entwistle and Adam Gaudet have done, right? Like, Incidentally, your second and third best courses on the evening tonight, I will point out. Yeah, I mean, that that whole, that line was really, really good. That, yeah. You know, so they played really well together. And and look, if, the, if that is your fourth line, <laughs> I mean, and look, you're still talking about Ryan Carpenter needs a place to play. Yep. Uh, You know, Hardman, who played pretty well. Now, he didn't have the great Corsi numbers, but he was noticeable out there. 
uh, you know, you've got a bunch of guys who you like Alex Nylander is still on this team for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Dylan Strom, remember him? Like, where are all these guys going to fit? It's a nice problem to have. And look, if N Whistle doesn't start the season in Chicago, I don't think it's the end of the world. But man, it's just all of a sudden you're sort of you're trying to shape this roster and it's really getting tough to to slot the lines because so many guys have been deserving this preseason, and that is really good news. I mean, it definitely uh, speaks to the Blackhawks how much they have bolstered their center depth because I feel like if you had to base what they're going to do on opening night on what they've been doing in the preseason and what the guys have been producing, I think there is a very compelling argument that Adam Gaudet should be the fourth-line center. Heck, Henrik Borgstrom could be the fourth-line center. He won a ton of face-offs tonight, too. They've got some really good options up the middle, and it's really interesting because if you want to go into the season with a line that's kind of flying high and playing really well, you could do a heck of a lot worse than just leaving that line intact and rolling it out on opening night. But like you said, that leaves a lot of guys in limbo, your Carpenters, your Stroms, your Conleys, honestly, yeah. uh, Kara, Hardman. I mean, there are so many guys. You go up and down this list, and the one guy we haven't even mentioned in all of that is what it means for Lucas Reichel because mm-hmm. he, he, there's just so many guys who are playing so well this preseason. It might end up being a thing. They don't want to burn his ELC right away. They may end up not having him play here to start the season, and that just is that's not an indictment of him. That's just the fact that Mackenzie Entwistle is playing his out of his mind right now. I went into this. He was kind of in that probably third or fourth tier of guys, guys who I thought maybe had an outside shot at grabbing a roster spot if there were some injuries. Mm-hmm. He is trying as much as he can to get onto this roster, and it's becoming increasingly hard to make a compelling argument that they should deny him a spot. I know, obviously, Ryan Carpenter is one of the team's primary penalty killers in terms of the forwards. He was obviously out there tonight. Mm-hmm. But when you look at a guy like Dylan Strome, boy, howdy, is he looking expendable right now? I mean, if you want, you want to trade him for kind of peanuts, I think that might be an alternative they would consider. I think it'd be a little bit harder to move uh, Conley, but – the Blackhawks may just have to juggle this roster to get Ant Whistle onto it, and if it requires a move like that, it's going to be hard to argue with the logic of doing that with how well he's been playing. Yeah, it is it is tough, to, and, and you want guys that are different styles, right? You want guys that are willing to play physically, and Dylan Strom's just kind of not that guy. And uh, our time for our uh, every episode mention of The Athletic, they wrote about Dylan Strom today, and, and Jeremy Cowton wants him to carry the puck more with speed, and, and Strom sort of said, like, yeah, I just kind of want to get this, the puck off my stick right away. Well, oh, okay, that, that's not an aggressive way to play. It's not a, w- a way to get yourself back on the top six. It seems like a change of scenery would really benefit Dylan Strom. And look, I like Dylan Strom. I've been one of the people that's always sort of said, hey, you know, he doesn't make a ton of money. His output's been good. He can contribute on the point up front on the power play. You know, he's kind of a versatile guy. He can play center or wing. But with that cap hit, and you've got these young players playing as well as they are. I just, it just doesn't make sense. Like, give the kid a fresh start. See if he can find a spot on a top six somewhere else, or maybe even just a top nine. Cause at this point, it feels like he's playing for the sake of playing. And you're right. I think we're looking at if they trade Dylan Strom, it's going to be for a mid round, a late round pick. 
Yeah. Right. And then people are going to look back and say, well, you know, this Nick Schmaltz deal was a loss and yada, yada, yada. Well, you know, you were you develop some guys yeah. that are that are ready to go. And Dylan Strom at this point to me is a luxury. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I just I just don't want him playing just because he's here. I want him to play because he's earned it. And that remains to be seen. Yeah. And I think that uh, the, obviously the other thing with Dylan Strom to remember is how infrequently he played last season down the stretch. And obviously there may have been a nagging injury or something we didn't know about for, for all intents and purposes from what it appeared he was just a healthy scratch. Even though the Blackhawks had so many injuries and so many issues, he couldn't crack the lineup then. What makes you think he should crack it when they have a significantly deeper team now on that forward side? Yeah, it's it's really hard for me to envision a spot for him on this team. And it's tough, man. Like it's you know, I, I think that I, I think that um Cowan just doesn't love him, which is part of it. Like he hasn't gotten the opportunities that maybe he would get if, if a coach felt differently about him. But look, it's fine. He's got a one-year deal with $3 million, one year left. Uh, he's got Arbright's. I, yep. You know, I, I just I just feel like it's a very movable deal. A 24-year-old who can play center wing. I just There's got to be a better fit for him around the league somewhere. And if he's gone before opening day, it would not shock me at all. And I think the Hawks would be thrilled to get that extra $3 million off their cap and give themselves sure. a little bit of flexibility there. So... That would also help them in the Connolly situation too. I I I can't see Connolly on this team at all. And, and that I just don't I don't know what what else they're going to do with him. Are they going to trade him like that? That would seem to be the only option. But he has two years left on his deal, so maybe a little bit more tricky to kind of move him. Maybe they try to pick up another bottom six defenseman. Maybe they could swing him as part of a trade for that. Like that would be kind of the only thing I could foresee happening just because at least then they're taking a little bit of cap hit back. Well, cap friendly right now has him in the minors for what it's worth. Like on their page, they have him on the non roster. So I don't are know they if they're really going to be willing. Are they going to be willing to, uh, I, cause I think it'd be what about a $2 million cap hit if they put him in the minors. Uh, I think that's probably better than him playing there. Yeah. It'd be a 2.375 cap hit versus 3.5 having him here. Yeah. I think they would do that. I I absolutely think they would because what again, who who's sitting so Brett Connolly can play? I That's just not not anybody I can think of cuz like I, there are just a million options. So Yeah. I didn't want to get into roster construction in the first segment. I wanted to kind of stick to the I know, I know, Detroit I know. game, but I mean yeah. some of these uh standouts have kind of made that a really necessary conversation to have. Are there any other positives that you wanted to go into? I know I had one. Well, look, Jonathan Taves continues to look good. He looked better tonight than he's looked the entire preseason, which means you're not seeing him get fatigued from game action. You're seeing him get up to game speed. He is ramping up big time. Yeah, and that to me is maybe the story of the offseason because we said, okay, we're going to see he played the first two preseason games. Let's see how he responds. Then they sat him in the weird Kansas City. This game's not on TV and no Did one can happen? see it. Did that game happen <laughs> and, or is everybody lying? And everyone us? in the building had COVID and it's just like the weirdest thing ever. And uh, isn't the point of a promotional game for people to see it? Call me crazy. One would think, yeah. I, I, I don't know, whatever. Uh, but he said, "What was that the game. attendance for that game?" I, dude, I couldn't find anything about it. Like even the scores were vague. Like the shots on goal on NHL.com were just whatever the score was. 
I demand a full accounting of this game from Ben Pope. <laughs> he needs to come on the show and tell us what happened. I don't think he was there. Was he there? I don't think he was there. I know it did end up streaming on NHL.com or something, but I couldn't find it. And I'm like, you know, no, it was just not stupid. that you were going out of your way on a Saturday night to find it. No, for preseason. No. So anyway, but yeah, so Taves, you know, sits out that game. He's played three of the four preseason games. And like we said, this game was his best of the preseason. Three assists, killing it at the faceoff dot. He won a nice 69% of his faceoffs. <laughs> uh, two shots on goal, which that seems not right. No, no, it definitely seems right to me. He was he was pass first the entire night. Yeah, man. he was very passy. But I, I thought he had, like, he had a turnaround shot. Oh, I think that one was blocked, actually. It was. Yeah, yeah. There, so there were a few opportunities he had that were taken away, but really quick passes too. There was a moment where there was a cross. I think to brink it, put it across the crease to Taves and Taves just dropped it right to Seth Jones. Like oh yeah. Instantly like no look right on the tape. He just looks like the old Jonathan Taves. And I know there's going to be valleys in the season for him. Right. But uh, right now to see him improving with playing time, Mm-hmm. is the best news you could have hoped for. It, like I think going into the preseason, if I said I would be blown away happy if he said, you know what, I'm good enough to go opening night and I'll get better as it goes. I think this so far, barring a setback, which could happen tomorrow morning, right? But sure. as of this moment, 9.45 p.m. on Monday, this is better than I could have hoped for because he has looked the best in the latest game and hopefully that trend continues. I think the thing that has stood out most about him has just been how sharp he has been. I yeah. feel like that's something that obviously you really do have to kind of knock the rust off a little bit. I, I thought tonight he his hockey IQ has obviously always been one of his biggest strengths. His anticipation tonight was fantastic. There were some moments where he was just making these really subtle, really smart plays and obviously getting rewarded for it. The I believe it was the second assist that he had tonight. He fed the puck across the ice to Jake McCabe on the power play, I think it was. And McCabe just had been he had pinched all the way in. The Red Wings had kind of completely forgotten that he was on the ice. Just that entire sequence of getting the puck over to McCabe was just such a clinic between him and Seth Jones, it was a really smart and remarkable play. And just as the night went on, his passes had the right weight to him. Like you said, he was winning draws very cleanly tonight. All of those good intangible things that Jonathan Taves does were on full display. And then, oh yeah, he had three assists as well and got rewarded for those efforts. I feel like with the the way his game has kind of come, he's come in and been really on point with a lot of that stuff that should realistically take a bit of time to kind of come to him. Yeah, they're probably going to be some bumps early on, especially because he'll obviously be going up against, you know, the Colorado Avalanche night one of the season. There's there definitely will be valleys. You were right about that. But just his on ice awareness, just the way he's doing all those little things like saucer passes and face off wins. The fact that he's doing them as well as he is after the layoff that he had is frankly remarkable. And it's a huge boost to the Blackhawks heading into the season. I think that 
uh, Jonathan Taves looking this good is nothing but a blessing to this team, and it's really going to impact them in a really positive way as they get this season started. The Madhouse Podcast is brought to you by our friend Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade of prosecuting homicide cases as an assistant Cook County State's attorney, he opened his own firm over 20 years ago, specializing in all forms of personal injury cases, including injuries as a result of accidents, including involving cars, trucks, motorcycles, bicycle, boats, planes, and buses, construction accidents, nursing home abuse, medical negligence and birth injuries, slip and fall cases, and injuries as a result of hazardous drugs or products. Kent's firm's results speak for themselves. With millions recovered for their clients, the Simpson Law Group charges no fees unless they win for you. So call for a free consultation, 312 332 Two one zero seven, or visit SinsonLawGroup.com. That's S-I-N-S-O-N LawGroup.com. Don't go off sides. Go top shelf. Call now. If you've not checked out our episode a while back, we did it with Kent about the uh, Brad Aldrich case uh, cases. Uh, go check that out. It's really good. It still holds up. I know there is more info sort of constantly coming out. We will check in with Kent again soon on that very topic but uh he has been nothing but a great authority for us during this whole thing all right so listening to the first half of this podcast you'd think the hawks won six nothing uh that wasn't the case (laughs) they won six four and gave up four power play goals and you know i got a text during the game from somebody saying this d is highly concerning and Uh, i I think yeah I, i i'm I think what we're seeing is an overly complicated system, which we have talked about for a long time. I feel like we literally have talked about nothing but that the last few years. And in this lineup, Caleb Jones, Jacob Galvis, two new guys, Seth Jones, three new guys, Jake McCabe, four new guys. So four new defensemen out of the six in this lineup. Uh, I think what you're seeing is a learning curve. And it's not just a curve with the system. It's a curve with your teammates. You know, the special teams especially are a lot of communication. It's a lot of instinct. It's a lot of knowing each other's tendencies. And uh, look, even when the Hawks were a dynasty, they struggled to get the power play together. Um, I'm not totally panicked yet, but it's got to start looking better as the preseason goes on here. I do really think part of this game was... They got up big early. It was no contest, and they sort of just, I think they took their foot off the gas. And when that happens, it's hard to get it back. But then as soon as Detroit tied it, the Hawks took over again, right? Like that was sort of the wake-up call they needed, and they ramped up, and they took over the game towards the end. So it's obviously not good to give up four power play goals. And there have been some things I haven't liked from some of the new guys, and that includes Seth Jones, some turnovers, some bad reads, some whiff passes. Um, but look, I, to me, that's what the preseason's for. If we see this carry on, you know, three, four, five games into the season, then I'm going to start to freak out a little bit. But while it wasn't ideal, I think what we're seeing right now are the growing pains of a new, t- a, a very new roster with a lot of new faces playing with new partners for the first time. Uh, I have a comment and then I have a question. Um, I know that's a very common uh, press conference thing to say, but hear me out on this. Okay, I, I will say that 
Jones and McCabe as a pairing have not impressed me during the preseason so far. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's different in practice or what that is. I have not necessarily liked the way those two guys have fit together. And tonight, I don't, I don't feel like you can pin a lot of what they were doing on the system necessarily because Jake McCabe on one sequence, one sequence alone had three freaking turnovers. How does that even happen? I, I, for the life of me cannot figure out another time I've seen that happen. He just kept passing the puck to the middle of the ice and it kept getting intercepted by Red Wings players. It was like he was trying to let them practice that particular move. <laughs> like here guys, improve your four check. I said, improve it. Like it was just a very strange sequence. And like you alluded to, Seth Jones did have a couple of uh, breakdowns tonight. He did have a couple of whiff passes, a couple instances where he was maybe on the wrong side of the ice. Jake McCabe did as well. So that's that's my comment. And now my question, and this is for Jeremy Colleton, and this is also for Jay Zawoski if you were playing the role of Jeremy Colleton. So please put on your thicker rimmed glasses. Get professorial on me for a second. I have to ask. If you're concerned about guys potentially being slow to adapt to a system, why would you put them with each other and let them both struggle at the same time? Wouldn't it make sense to put them with more established guys, i.e. put Seth Jones with Calvin DeHaan and uh, Jake McCabe with Connor Murphy? Wouldn't that make more sense? Because then at least there's a guy that can kind of cover up the other, the systemic deficiency, the misread, whatever it is. Wouldn't that make more sense than what they're doing right now? I agree with your philosophy. And if it, if it were me, that's what I would do. But devil's advocate would say, well, if you put DeHaan and Murphy together, that's your shutdown pair. Those two know the system like the back of their hand. They've played together before, and that's the one you know you can trust when you need to trust it. The other two are such good defensemen, they will figure it out and figure it out quickly. But I'm with you. I And I also think, too, when everyone reaches their potential, I think that having two better pairs is better than having one really, really good pair and one good pair, right? Like I think Dahan and Jones and McCabe and Murphy is more appealing to me than, than the opposite, right? I, I mean, just, that's the in instant reaction I had when they acquired McCabe was that that would be my two ideal pairs. So I do have to bring that up in, in the context of any argument about this is that is the bias from which I am approaching this. No, I, I understand it. And I, I, like I said, I do agree with you, but I'm wondering if Jeremy Cowton's thinking, we know what we have in Dahan and Murphy. Let's keep them together. Let's keep that, you know, that pairing secure and we know that McCabe and, and Jones are good enough and smart enough defensemen to figure it out quick. That I think that might be what, and look, who knows? Opening night could be totally different, but I think that could be what Cowton is waiting to see is how quickly McCabe and Jones figure each other out and how quickly that chemistry can come. Because I think when you look at it from like a video game perspective, their games complement each other very well. McCabe is the more stay-at-home type Right, he's got a little bit of offensive game, and he's got some speed. But he's they more showed that off tonight on that goal, man. That was a really good shot. Yeah, for sure. And, and Jones is obviously uh, in the Hawks system is going to be allowed to freewheel and and pinch a lot more than he was uh, allowed to do in Columbus. So you put him with that stay at home guy. I don't know. I, I I we'll see how it goes, but I think that could be what Calton is thinking: is let's just see how long it takes these two to figure each other out. Because I feel like they've been paired 
the entire preseason, right? Like there you hasn't been about that. Yeah. So uh, I think that I think that's what Jeremy Kelton is seeing. By the way, I, I want to mention something real quick, and I want to know if you picked up on this during the game too. The Pius Suter deconstruction campaign by Eddie Owen Pat Foley. <laughs> Did you notice that too? Uh, it, the instant Edzo started talking about Suter's contract, that's a lot of paper for that guy. Yeah, for a guy who had a couple Boy, of really good games. That, that sure as heck looked like a little bit of a passing shot at him for sure. Yeah, that was weird. I was like, eh, just let it go. Yeah, I, th- I think people are pretty happy with when you look at what ca- what left and what came. This offseason, exactly. people are pretty satisfied. So you don't need to poke that bear. You don't need to try to, you know, make that look better than it was. They just didn't want to pay him that much. And it's perfectly logical. You, you know, you leave Pope PS alone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I just know I wanted to see if you noticed that as well. Oh, absolutely. And that I flag that is something we definitely needed to mention kind of on the slide. By the way, another if we want to go with another broadcasting note, how about uh, Pat Foley's call on that Mark Andre Fleury save? Yeah, that's, in the third oh. period, that was vintage Foley, is what that was. Uh, Robbie Fabry was just like, "Are you kidding me?" Like, really? <laughs> it was one of those situations where you just have to laugh. Yep. And Fleury made a couple really nice saves, and I, I don't have any. I think the one I didn't love was the Lucas Raymond, again, a power play goal. It was kind of a one-on-one snipe. Yep, but and Edzo f- was very quick to point out why Flurry was standing up. It was because Jake McCabe was laying down. Right. Um. So I didn't have a huge problem with any of the goals. That was maybe the one I was like, eh, a little bit. But he was screened a lot, and that's something with, that the Hawks are going to have to clean up too because that was a big problem on the penalty kill was dudes just standing right in front of Marc-Andre Fleury. And you've got... Did you notice how high they were playing their defensemen? Is that a systemic change? Because they they had Jones and McCabe way up from the crease, and then they didn't even have them going and pursuing the puck. That was something I found really interesting watching that game. On the penalty kill, you mean? Uh, frankly, either. I didn't see those guys going back behind the goal very often on defense. It felt like they were kind of trying to get their positioning in front, and it really did allow Detroit to get a lot of those kind of cut-in, cut-ins behind them, and like you said, just enabled them to set up camp in front of Flurry for sure. Yeah, and I just I want to see more like getting the dude out of there. Like Calvin Hahn was just standing there with a stick on him. It's like extend your arms Calvin like <laughs> move that he uh, he is on skates he's very easy to move you know like it's just you can tie him up as much as you want but now you've got two people standing in front of Flurry instead of one right like get him out of the way create a lane push him one way or the other so Flurry can decide which way he's going to look I don't know that some of the some of the uh screen protections in front were problematic but again I think we're getting into the like real minutia of one preseason game where you probably had, I'm sure you have the team trying some stuff. Well, just, just noticing where the defensemen were playing. No, definitely. I wonder if it's a systemic change. And that's something I think we need to keep an eye on the last two preseason games. Definitely. All right, let's do this. Let's take a timeout, come back. Let's reflect on the preseason we've had so far. They're over halfway done with the preseason. So let's see what we've learned. Let's see what we still need to learn as the preseason goes on, but we'll be right back with a whole lot more on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast.
Welcome back into the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Jay Zawaski here in Homewood. James Naveau out there in Kankakee. Want to tell you about our friends at Fry the Coop and FryTheCoop.com. The best hot chicken you will ever eat in your entire life. If you live in the Chicagoland area, and chances are if you're listening to this podcast, you do. You have a Fry the Coop near you. Oak Lawn, Elmhurst, West Town, Prospect Heights, and Tinley Park, Fry the Coops are popping up everywhere. And for a place to not only succeed, but to expand during a pandemic tells you everything you need to know about the food, about the people at Fry the Coop. Like I said, it's the best hot chicken you'll ever have. Go to frythecoop.com, check out the menu, place your order online, go pick it up, go dine in, whatever you want to do. They've got you covered at Fry the Coop, but I promise you, look, we don't put sponsors on the show that we don't believe in. And one of the sponsors I believe in the most is Fry the Coop. So go check them out. Try the hot chicken. You're going to love it. They've got the tenders. They've got the, the sandwiches, including the donut chicken sandwich, which is a uh, glazed Tallarico Martin donut with hot chicken in between it. It's just absolutely amazing. You can't go wrong. Everything there is good. The kids love it, too, because you can get the country style if they're not into the heat at all. They've got the pimento mac and cheese. It's fantastic. Don't miss Fry the Coop. So go to frythecoop.com. All right, so big picture, looking at the preseason so far and the games we could see, is there anything that stands out to you, James, that is, uh, aside from like, eh, you know, the penalty kill doesn't look great. I, let's go like personnel-wise. Has there been have there been any performances that have really like concerned you at all? Um, I, I don't really think there's been a guy who has really stated a case for himself to be a runaway favorite to grab one of the bottom two defensive spots. And I think that that is something we obviously have been playing a lot of attention to. I know we've obviously been watching Caleb Jones really closely. We've mentioned Riley Stillman, Wyant Kalnick, Ian Mitchell, Alec Regula. I think all of those guys have a shot at those spots. I honestly don't think that any of those guys has really stepped up and made a super compelling case to grab one of them. I think probably the closest right now anybody has come to that is probably Caleb Jones. I I think that's kind of where I'm leaning, but I, I can't look at any of those guys and say he is for sure on the roster on opening night. And that does mildly concern me, especially with how well the forwards who are competing for roster spots are playing. You would think that a blue liner would have kind of uh, distinguished himself. I don't really think that's happened yet. Yeah, I I have a little bit of an issue with the way Calton's doing this. I, I don't need to see Isaac Phillips. I don't need to see Jacob Galvis. I don't think those guys have a realistic shot of making the team. I just don't. I, it was nice to see Nolan Allen play, and we complimented his game. I thought he was really, really good in the game we saw him in. But I just, you need to find out these bottom two guys. And you've got to give the realistic candidates, you know, Bodan, Mitchell, Kalnick, uh, you know, all the guys you mentioned, they need a longer, more extended look. Riley Stillman, obviously. We've got to see who the bottom pair on this team is going to be. And again, I did you need to see, uh, you know, Jacob Galvis tonight? Like, okay, fine, give him a look. But I, I don't know. I, I feel like I, I don't get the sense he's in the real conversation. Yeah, I, I don't. I think Alec Regula is. I don't think Galvis is. And obviously, I think Caleb Jones is. So I think it's basically going to come down to five guys for two or three spots. 
And I, I agree with you. They need to kind of knock off this whole um, giving time to guys like that. I think maybe what you'll see in Minnesota is probably none of the top four play. And I think all of the guys who are kind of in that derby to compete for those last two spots are going to get put on the ice and they're going to go, hey, go impress us. That's interesting because I was thinking maybe they just get rid of the guys that don't have a chance you know, and just dispatch them now and, and shrink the roster. I could see it going either way, though, for sure. Just let these guys play and see what they've got. I mean, hell, if you have Caleb Jones, Stillman, Kalnick, Mitchell, Regula, and Bodan, I think that's a good six. Yeah. I think that, that I think those are your six primary contenders. Just let them battle it out. And I don't need to see another, what, Seth Jones played 25 minutes tonight. There's, there's no, no, he does not need to do that no. again. We got we got a game against Colorado in nine days. Please knock that off. Right. You got Murphy playing 22-48. You know, you've got DeBrinket playing 22 minutes. Like, okay, you know what? I know you want to get your guys ready and geared up, but don't put Seth Jones out there for 25 minutes in a preseason game. That's it's foolish. So hopefully he uses this opportunity to rest a couple guys. I think, you know, he's done it. I'm always as a fan happier to see the better players playing, but I also don't want to see Seth Jones's legs collapse, collapse under him. You know, I just, I don't need to see an injury in a meaningless game just because, because you want to use your new toy. And I know it's a tough balance with these coaches because as we just discussed, you know, these guys have to figure each other out. They've got to learn how to play with one another. And the best way to do that is in game. But there's that balance of health versus chemistry versus it's not an easy task that Jeremy Cowan has. But I don't need to see 25 minutes. Seth Jones. I'm sorry. No. Save in a regular season. Yes. That's what you signed him to be. And that's the expectation. But do you maybe play one of those two pairs in each of the last two preseason games and then have the other four spots be strictly like competitive, like four roster spots? I think that might be a good idea too. try to win the job. Give these guys, you know, give Dahan and Murphy a game, give McCabe and Jones a game and let them, you know, play together some more or you shift it and see how they look with the other partner. And yeah, let the let the other four that actually have a legitimate shot that you're you feel like you're deciding between because I think at this point I would hope Jeremy Cowden has his four in mind, like he's mm-hmm. pretty sure like okay these are the ones that are truly competing for a spot. Yeah, that I, I like that idea. That's what I would do. In terms of guys, I'm concerned about. I want to get back to that a little bit. Uh, not a huge concern for me because I couldn't care less if he plays or not, but. You would think, and I know he's coming off a severe injury, but Alex Nylander has shown next nothing. to nothing. Nothing. I mean, no competitiveness, no jump. It almost appears as if he either feels like he doesn't have a chance to make the team or that he's got a spot locked up because he is not playing with any sort of intensity or with any sort of, uh, you know, it's not like he's trying to make a statement of any kind. It doesn't seem that way. It just seems like he's very content to just be who he is. And look, he's made decent money in his career. Maybe that's what it is. But man, I, like, is he not getting the message that he's a bubble guy in this team? Um, I honestly, when I typed out my list of guys who were going to make this roster at the forward position, I had nine guys that I consider to be locks. And that's Dr. Brentkit, Gaudette, Hagel, uh, I obviously Tyler Johnson, Kane Kubli, Kurashev, and Taves. I think that Carpenter, Conley, and Strom. I think at least one, if not two, of those guys make it. And then it's the next level down where it's Kara, Borgstrom, Reichel, Hardman, and Entwistle. You notice who's not on that list at all? I don't yep. think 
I don't think Nylander has a chance. He has shown zip, zilch, nada. I, if he's on the roster opening night, that is a failure of evaluation on the part of the Blackhawks. They have a lot of other quality options. And, and even if you want to go just based on like effort, right? Like, who tried to earn a spot? You know, like maybe the, maybe the Mike Hardman doesn't have the skill that Alex Nylander has, but damn it, he's out there playing. He's finishing he checks. The prospect he's, showcase for God's sake. Yeah, he clearly is interested in making a statement. Right. Yeah. I, I just I can't find my I can't find a path to me giving Alex Nylander an opening night spot on this team. Nope. There's just been too many other guys that have looked good. You know, like we knew, like we were, we've been praising Hagel. We knew he was going to make the team. That was no sure, question. Oh, I, yeah, obviously. But Borgstrom, Goddad have come out and been really, really good. Yep. Uh, it, you know, Tyler Johnson. I think has shown some really good skill too. And I, I told, I told you before the preseason started, I thought he was kind of a tweener guy. I think he's definitely locked up a spot the way he's been playing. Yeah. I just, I feel like Alex Nylander, I don't know. It, I, I just can't see it. I don't see how they justify saying, yeah, sure, uh, you made the team. Based on what? Based on what exactly? Because yeah. it's just not he is not he's not performed in any way, shape, or form. And look, there's a couple games to go, and maybe he'll get some ice time and, and impress and have that extra jump. I don't know. But right now, you're right. There are four or five candidates for the for that bottom spot ahead of Alex Nylander for me. I, I 100% agree, and uh, he's a guy I literally have been giving zero thought to because I feel like he's such an afterthought in this conversation right now, and maybe a change of scenery does something for him, but if you couldn't get motivated to and – and I know we always try to stay away from effort and motivation because they're just really – they're hard to quantify and therefore make for really easy podcasting. He came into this, have, he has to know that he's competing and he has to stand out. I haven't seen that urgency from him, and that's it's something I really try hard not to critique about a player, but other guys have just really stepped up, and he really hasn't. He is tangibly not not trying hard. Right? Like, I, again, I, I don't – maybe that's unfair, but I'm just not seeing a guy fighting for a roster spot. Yeah, you know, it's it's hard. And you, you know what I love about all of this? We haven't even talked about backup goaltenders. I guess that's the that's the next podcast. <laughs> yeah, we got to save some content for the preseason. I, I suppose. Well, we got two more games, buddy. Yep, that's right. All right. But everybody, thanks for joining us. We always appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Madhouse podcast. Uh, the season is close. What did you say? Eight days. So by the time most people listen to this, it'll be seven days from the opening game against Colorado. Cannot wait. We will be here. Um, maybe we'll have something special planned for opening night. I don't know. We got to figure all that out, but Hey, you know, we're here for you. Uh, at very least we'll have a post game podcast that night. So stick with us, make sure you're subscribed. If you just listen every now and again, those subscriptions help a lot. Leave us a five-star review on Apple podcasts, email a screenshot to madhousepod at gmail.com. And you'll be entered to win a madhouse podcast prize pack, including uh, Madhouse Podcast t-shirts, buttons, some other swag as well. So make sure you do that because those five-star reviews are super, super helpful. All right. For my partner, James Navo, this is Jay Zawoski. Thanks for listening to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast was brought to you by Fry the Coop, Triple Threat Sports, and by the Sits In Law Group. 
I'm Amira Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.